I want to continue on our discussion that we started last week, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can um, be an exciting topic. And the Holy Spirit can be a little nerve-wracking because the Holy Spirit is a mighty, mighty person. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit being a person and not an it. Many people have heard of the Holy Spirit, and they call it an it. Well, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. We talked about that last week in pretty good detail. And today, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I want to talk to the, into the Holy Spirit in the realm of fruit. And I pray that these messages, foundational teaching messages, will give us a hunger and a desire for more of, of who the Holy Spirit is and what is the role that He plays in our lives, personally and corporately, that the Holy Spirit has in the lives of people. So it's important that we appreciate the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person and how much He loves us, like God the Father and Jesus the Son love us. The Holy Spirit loves you. He is not, to be, he is not your foe. He is not to scare you. He is not to intimidate you. He is to love you. And He loves you so much. And, and if we can begin to appreciate Him as a person, then maybe we can begin to imagine Him more and that we can trust him more, that we can re realize that he has your best interest in mind, that he's always here to build you up and to make you better. He's always leading you and I to Jesus, and he's always wanting us to get more of him so that we can appreciate eternity for what it really is. And I really pray that we can um, educate ourselves and move away from the fear and the intimidation or a, a, a trepidation that, that, that maybe history has given us about who the Holy Spirit is. And I know that this is a real dividing factor between denominations and amongst people. And I want to break those walls down. I want to be able to understand the significance of who the Holy Spirit is so that we can have a relationship with Him as much as He wants to have a relationship with us. He really wants to have an intimate relationship with you. The Holy Spirit wants to be your best friend. He wants to be your guide. He wants to be your helper. He wants to be your paraclete. That's why he came. That's why Jesus had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come and be that personal agent for you that knows you so well that he can become that personal relationship with you. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit maybe uh, intimidates some people. And I can say from my own personal experience that the Holy Spirit is a change agent. He is a changer. He does make things different in your life. He doesn't make you better than the next person, but He makes you better than what you were. And that's really important that we recognize that. That the Holy Spirit is not to be a differentiator between people, but He's to be a differentiator of myself. He's to get in my heart, in my life. And when I allow the Holy Spirit to take residence and fully appreciate the person of the Holy Spirit more than just in my salvation experience, and I allow Him to really become who He wants to be in my life, He makes me better than what I was before. That's why He's a change agent. And He gets in and He changes me. And He makes me something that God wants me to be. I don't need to be afraid of that. Do you want to be pleasing to the Lord? 
Do you want God to say, I'm pleased with you? Then allow the Holy Spirit to do the changing. You can't do it on your own. You cannot do this on your own and be pleasing with the Lord. It's only when we allow the Holy Spirit to be the change agent in our lives that then we really truly are pleasing to the Lord. And this is one of the major reasons why there is such a problem with this because the devil, we all know who the devil is, right? We all appreciate that we have an enemy called Satan or the devil or the accuser. He does not like the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you that right now. He does not like the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. And he will do everything he can to make you afraid of this big, mean ghost. This big, mean, holy ghost, the devil will do everything he can to confuse you as to what his role is, to confuse you of what his purpose is, and he will do everything he can to make you afraid of this big, mean, holy ghost thing that's going to change you and make you weird. And I just want to tell you right now that that's not what the Holy Spirit does. That's not what his role is. I want you to know that the devil is a liar. He is not telling you the truth. If you have fear and a trepidation over this topic, understand where that comes from. And that's not coming from God the Father. It's not coming from Jesus the Son. It's coming from the devil. And I just want you to recognize. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to relax. I want you to appreciate here who the Holy Spirit is and what he's trying to do in our hearts and our lives. Because the devil certainly doesn't like it when we talk about the Holy Spirit because the devil doesn't want you to change. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to mature. He wants you to stay a baby forever and ever because babies he can manipulate and he can control. But a full-grown person that has the power of the Holy Spirit in him, he chases the devil away and he wins. And the devil doesn't like that. So my prayer is that as a result of this teaching that we're going through now in the next few weeks, that we're going to understand better who the Holy Spirit is and that we're going to develop a hunger and a desire that we're going to allow him to be who he wants to be in our lives. We're going to prioritize the steps a little bit. Now, we, again, last week we started to talk about the Holy Spirit as the person. Today we're going to talk about him as the fruit of the Spirit and then later, we're going to talk to him about the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to talk about living in the power of the Holy Spirit thereafter. So why do we want to speak about the fruit first? Why is it important that we talk about the manifestation of fruit in our person's lives? Because, I'll tell you the answer real quickly, because the reason that we have fear and interpretation of the Holy Spirit is because we, we spend too much time talking about the manifestations of the Spirit that don't prove maturity. I want to talk about the things that prove maturity in our person's life that allows us to then better to handle the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes. Fruit in the Spirit of a person is what really helps us to be able to handle the person of the Holy Spirit when He manifests Himself in the ways that He does. Fruit is one of these things that is... Um, the proving of maturity more than the gift proves maturity. Very important that we understand that because gifts are given to people of all ages, including babies. Children, grandparents, great-grandparents, we all like to get gifts, don't we? It's fun to get a gift. But a gift doesn't happen, a, a gift is not earned. A gift is not a reward. A gift is a gift. And we give it to that immature baby as much as we give it to an adult. 
So gifts don't prove anything when it comes to maturity. Same thing with spiritual gifts. Just because I might operate and speak in tongues and have a prophetic gift doesn't mean I'm a mature Christian. And that's the problem. Because we think that people, as soon as you speak in tongues, all of a sudden, you've arrived. Well, you haven't arrived. You've just received a gift. Just no different than a little baby receiving their first, first gummy bear thing. Gifts don't prove maturity. I want to understand, that's so important that we understand that. So why we talk about the fruit of the Spirit first is because that's a better way for us to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, I'm using a lot of books and resources I've gone through. One of the books that I've read is from a, an author named Dr. Alex Ness. Maybe you've heard of him. He is a well-known author. He's written many books on the Holy Spirit, spiritual warfare, holiness, and many others. One thing he says, he says, the reason that we're speaking of the, whole, of the fruit of the Spirit first is that only out of a life abounding with the fruit of the Spirit should the gifts of the Spirit be manifested. Only as we allow the fruit to mature and grow should we allow the gifts to be manifested. Galatians chapter 22 through 23 tells us what the fruit of the gift Spirit is. It's right here. We can read it right here on, this, on the banners behind me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, we're not going to take the time to go into detail all nine fruit. We're not going to do that. That's another study. But the purpose here is for us to recognize that as the fruit matures and we become more loving, more joyful, more patient, more peaceful, more kind, more good-natured, um, good more faithful, more gentle, more, with more self-control, as I allow that to happen in my life, I am preparing myself to be a good, useful agent or tool of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that would come to those that are seeking Jesus. Fruit is the result of life. Fruit is a process. It takes time to bear fruit. The tree and all of its parts, the vine, the branches, the leaves, the stem, the trunks, all must be healthy, all must be connected together if fruit is to be born by that particular tree. First the bud appears, then the blossom, and then finally the fruit. It takes time. There must be proper sun, proper nutrition, proper moisture, proper warmth, all working together in a coordinated manner for the fruit to, to grow and mature. And all of these elements must work together or the fruit will be stunted or it will be damaged in the process of growth. It takes time for fruit to grow. No matter how quickly the farmer wants that fruit to grow, it takes time. He can't accelerate it. He can't rush it. He can't do anything besides allow nature to mature the fruit on the tree. Same thing with our spiritual life. Fruit takes time in our lives to grow. Many people try to accelerate this growth by going to seminars or reading books or conventions or meetings or uh, well, any other types of ideas or strategies to try to accelerate the growth in our life. But unfortunately, it takes time to grow the fruit of the Spirit. It takes time, and we need to recognize that. And some, many times when we're praying for certain things to happen, when we're praying, if you, if you want hope in your life, how do you pray for hope? How do you pray for hope? Well, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, and four, it says that, but we are also glorified in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. 
So I don't just say, God, give me hope. When I pray for hope, he says, okay, I'm going to give you a process. The process is through some suffering, through some perseverance, through some character building. And when that process happens, I have the fruit, I have hope that comes as a result of the process of that happening. I just can't shortcut it and say, God, I want hope. He says, I'll give you hope, but you've got to go through the process to let it develop in your life. And so it's important that we recognize that God's spiritual fruit is like natural fruit, and it takes time to grow in our life, and the spiritual forces must be coordinated in our life as it grows. How much fruit, how much fruit is God looking for in your life? Well, according to Dr. Ness and scriptures, it says that if our lives are to be fruit-producing, and by the way, God looks for much fruit, then we must be prepared to face all that is necessary to be fruitful. John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, God says if you abide in him, he will be the fruit bearer, and he will bear much fruit in your life. But if you separate yourself from the vine, if you take yourself out of the relationship with the Holy Spirit, if you take yourself away from God's um, growth process, you will do nothing. You will bear no fruit. So we are to bear much fruit, and we're to bear it as a way of staying abiding and staying connected to the vine, who is Christ. And, you know, we can think, well, maybe I can bear fruit on my own. Well, I think we've all seen plastic fruit that decorate tables. And, you know, technology today is pretty good. They can make a really good-looking apple or an orange or a pear, and it sits on that table, and it looks really real, but take a bite out of it. Yeah. You can't. It, if you take a bite out of that, if you can get into it, it's going to be ugly. And it's not going to be at all enhancing to your, to your experience of what you thought that apple was going to be like. Well, see, if I bear fruit on my own, it's plastic fruit. It might look really good on the table. It might look really good, uh, you know, until the pressure comes. But as soon as life comes, and if I've shortcut the process of God's fruit bearing, because I've tried to do it on my own, though it might look good, it's not real. And it's not going to last. And it's not going to bring any nourishment at all. So when I bear fruit, I have to bear the real deal fruit. And I want God's fruit. And I want His long-purposed, lasting, eternal fruit in my life. And I do that through the process of bearing fruit. Bible teacher James McDonald says this about people that are trying to live their life doing, the, doing things without the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He says this, it's hard enough to admit we need God. What's even harder is to live like we need Him. Successes in life can cripple us spiritually when we begin to view ourselves as self-sufficient. When we rely on our money, our talent, our family, or our hard work to fix everyday problems, we don't feel like we need God. Some claim they don't need the Lord. They have their own program. I have my act together with a career plan and a solid education. I'm heading in a good direction. My future's bright. They may not say they don't need God, but they live like it. If that's you, surrender your pride before he brings you low. Bow willingly before God now. Don't wait for him to force you to your knees. You see, some fruit requires some pruning. Sometimes if I'm going to have a fruit-bearing tree, there must be some, 
severe things that have to happen to that tree if it's truly going to bear the fruit that the gardener wants it to bear. When the weather's dry, we think it's going to kill the plants. But you know, sometimes dry weather forces that plant to put its roots deeper, seeking moisture. And that dry time may appear to be a hard time on that plant, but on all the time it's doing it, what is it really doing to that tree? What is it preparing that tree to be like when the winds and the storms of life really come against that tree? For the fact that that tree had to dig deep for the roots to get the moisture, it can stand the test of time. If the tree, if there's a lot of moisture on the surface and the, and the, and the roots don't go deep because they don't need to go deep and a big wind comes, those are the trees that topple. Those are the trees that fall over and ultimately die. So sometimes the hard times in life bring us to the point where we, it forces us to go deeper into God's word, goes deeper into our prayer life, goes deeper into our stability, because the dry times bring us a time where we recognize that we can't do it on our own. The only way we can do it is through Christ, and then we, therefore we build on the foundation of who Jesus is, just like that tree digging its, deep, its roots deep in the ground. But many times we don't appreciate that. Sometimes we want to grumble. We want to complain against the dry times. We want to make it a problem. It's rather, we need to recognize those are the times that truly there is an opportunity for growth to happen. We're allowing the fruit to be born in our life as the roots grow deep. John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 also tells us that fruit trees require pruning. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. That's Jesus speaking. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Yeah, the gardener is the one. He has the rights to prune the tree. He looks at the tree and says, oh, there's fruit, there's fruit, not so much fruit. I, if, I, if I trim this over here, that's going to make this over here grow better. And all of a sudden, the gardener is now pruning the tree, cutting off the excess, maybe causing harm to the tree, apparently, but all that's doing is it's forcing the nutrients to go where there's more fruit. That's a good thing. How does this apply to our spiritual lives? Well, look into your own heart and life and see where you have excess. Where are there things that are maybe taking you away from the Lord? Does, does the excess that we have in our life, does it make us more or less fruitful for the kingdom of God? Think about that. Be honest with yourself here and really test yourself. See, maybe God is testing you with excess to see if you're really willing to remove it from your life if it's not leading you closer to Christ. See, sometimes blessings as they come, we may look at the blessing as to be, oh, that's God's blessing in my life. It's excess. It's more. It's abundance. And he's saying, okay, I'm going to watch you now a little bit. Are you going to allow that blessing I gave you to draw you, you closer to me, or is it going to distract and take you away from me? Fortunately, we have a gardener that loves us enough that if he sees us making some poor choices, he might lop some branches off on us. He might take some of that excess away from us a little bit and say, hey, that wasn't really good for you. You were getting a little too top-heavy there. You were getting a little bit too easy for the next big wind to blow you over. Therefore, I'm going to take a little of that away from you, and I'm going to now I'm going to force you to go deeper into my word. Now, I, could, I consider that to be the true blessing. That truly is the true blessing. When it forces me to go deeper into the, my relationship with Christ, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is a blessing that lasts forever and ever and ever. But the excess that I think is giving me joy and happiness and peace today, if it's not leading me to Christ, if it's taking me away from Christ, then it is not going to last. And it's going to be etern- temporary, and it's going to burn. I don't want my fruit to burn. I want to have fruit that lasts forever and ever. So really, what I need to do is say, God, prune me. Prune me, Holy Spirit. You have, you have the authority to prune my life. And I'm not going to cry about it when you do. I'm going to thank you because I'm going to look at that as the true blessing in my life. See, we can look at this in a micro perspective, which is what I just said about, Lord, prune me, prune my branches, prune me personally so that I bear more fruit. Or we can look at it as the micro, the macro, or the bigger perspective, whereas God's looking at his church as an entity. And now the pruning that he does in the church is not excess in a person's life. It may be the person itself. And this is where it gets a little bit personal, because this is where it gets a little bit scary, because if we look at God's church, there are fruit-producing people and there are non-fruit-producing people. And God, as the master gardener, has the rights to remove the non-fruit-producing people from his tree. So if I'm not a, non-produ- a non-fruit-producing person, I'm at risk. I'm at risk because the gardener can say, Hey, in that church, you're not producing fruit, and you have no desire to produce fruit because I see your heart. Therefore, I have the right as the gardener to remove, remove you from that tree of life because you're just sucking the sap out of it and you're not producing anything. I know these are hard words. These are scary words. But these have to make me think. What is my role? What am I doing in the kingdom of God? Am I producing fruit or not? Or am I just producing lots of leaves? Leaves suck out the energy of a tree and not produce fruit. And the gardener says, I will cut off that limb because it's just sucking energy and not producing anything. That's his right as the gardener of his church. So we have to recognize that we have to look at our life, the micro perspective, to make sure that God is making me fruitful. And if he's not making me fruitful, I'm at risk. Let the Holy Spirit deal with us on that particular situation. So let me summarize so far. The fruit of the Spirit is the direct result of life, the direct result of the life of Christ flowing and manifesting himself through the life of the believer. Bearing fruit, which is the likeness of Christ in the life of a believer, is the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And because the Holy Spirit must work this out and develop this fruit through the people, through his people, We've seen that he takes the time necessary to do that. All right, now, the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not produce or does not automatically ripen fruit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying, all the things that the gifts of the Spirit do not automatically ripen fruit. It still takes time to develop the fruit, even though maybe you're operating in the gifts. You have to be careful here, because this is like giving a child a loaded gun. You wouldn't give a two-year-old a loaded gun, would you? Why? Because he'll play with it, (laughs) and he'll pull a trigger, and who knows where the bullet's going. Likewise, when God gives us spiritual gifts, 
recognize that he's given, a, could be a baby Christian, a mighty gift. And this is where we need to have good teaching. We need to have good, solid biblical teaching that comes around these gifts and say, okay, you've got a gift, now how do we use it? And just because somebody abuses it every once in a while doesn't mean we throw away the gift. Because there has been abuse in the church on the gifts of the Spirit. There's no question about it. We've all seen it. But that doesn't mean that we throw it away because a baby Christian abused it. No, what we do is that we say, Lord, teach us now what does it mean to mature so that I know how to use this very, very powerful gift. I want to be mature in it. According to Dr. Ness, he says, the baptism of the Holy Spirit should be evidenced by power for service. According to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the Holy Spirit is to give us power to be witnesses. He says, and not necessarily as evidence of a holy life or a fruit-filled life. Too many people have assumed that one arrives at the perfection of holiness as the criteria for receiving such a baptism. People that speak in tongues, that doesn't prove anything about their spiritual maturity. And we as a church have taken it wrong. We've gone the wrong direction with that. We focus too much on the initial evidence, thinking that once you, got, once you have that, then you are arrived. You haven't arrived anywhere. All that it's evidence is that you've received the gift. Now, how do you use it? How do you apply it? We've all seen Pentecostal manifestations using the gifts of the Holy Spirit from lives where very little fruit was evident. And that's where the problems have come from. See, if, if the gift that's given to us of the Holy Spirit, if they were a sign of maturity rather than just as a gift of God, then we would call them differently. We would not call it the gift of of the Holy Spirit, we would call it a badge of the Holy Spirit, or a merit of the Spirit, or an award of the Holy Spirit, or for the military people here, it would be the stripes of the Holy Spirit, because you've got more stripes in your arm, or the medals of the Spirit. No, it's not called that. It's called the gift of the Spirit, because it's given as a gift to people of all ages. You don't have to earn it. It is not a sign of maturity. It's just a gift of God. And we have to be responsible for how we use the gift so that we don't hurt people with the gift or we don't hurt the kingdom of God with the gift. And this is where the devil likes to play. This is his sandbox. He loves it when people misapply God's word. He loves it when he says, oh, I see a ripe one here. He, I, I, the Lord has blessed him with a gift, but he's not ready to handle it yet. So I'm going to go right in and I'm going to do all kinds of havoc in the man's life and I'm going to cause him to do things in the church and people and the devil just loves that and, I, and sometimes we would ask ourselves why does God do this to us? Why does he give us something like this if we're not ready to handle it yet? Why does he waste the energy of youth on the youth until when I'm older and I need it I don't have it? I, I don't understand all of that. I don't understand God's plan. All I know is that God doesn't award people based upon merits with his gifts. His gifts are given by him freely as he determines to give the gifts. And it's my job as a person to be responsible in how I use them. 
God clearly warns those that are living unholy lives, but yet operate in the gifts, that there's problems coming. Do you believe that? Have you seen that? Have you seen an example where someone is, there's no evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life, but yet they profess, they speak in tongues, they prophesy, but yet there's no fruit. They're not loving, they're not kind, they're not patient, they're not forbearing, they're not gentle. And not only that, but they do some things that are just look like they're really wrong. See, when God gives a gift that's irrevocable, he doesn't take it back. I know it's hard for us to understand sometimes. We're going to dig into this deeper in weeks to come. But Matthew chapter 7 tells us something that's very, very clear, and it should give us a good warning for all of us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is saying here, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will reply to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, here's a case where an immature Christian abused the power that was given to him in the gift. And he never really knew Christ. I know it's hard to understand, isn't it? I'm just, I'm just saying that we need to focus on the fruit of the Spirit more than we focus on the evidence. Now, I'm going to be speaking in weeks to come how important and how vitally valuable speaking in tongues is. I am not downplaying it at all. But there's a time and there's a place and there's a purpose for it. And as we learn how to use it, it's powerful and it's effective. And I couldn't live life without it. I wouldn't want to live life without it. But that doesn't mean I'm a mature Christian because I do it. <laughs> and we get, we get all messed up there. Absolutely, where, where fruit is absent, where fruit of maturity is absent, the use of the gifts become worthless. Recognize how important this is. The fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer measures the maturity, not the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm much more impressed when I see a man or a woman that operates in love and mercy and grace and patience and forbearance, gentleness, meekness. That tells me that that is a mature Christian. That's the fruit. And when I have that in my fruit, being evidence in my life, you put that on top, the Holy Spirit on top of that, with the power to be a witness in a bold testament. Now, my testimony means something because I've got evidence to go along with the power that comes with the manifestation of, manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I conclude, Jackie, if you'd come and help me to wind this down, I will. So let me ask the question. Why do I need a second experience or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I already have the Holy Spirit in my life when, I, when I'm saved. The moment I got saved, the Holy Spirit took residence in my life. Otherwise, I couldn't be saved because the Bible says it's only where the Holy Spirit draws a man. So I cannot have a relationship with Jesus unless the Holy Spirit's living in me. But why do I need the second experience? Why do I need the baptism that the, that the book of Acts talks about? Well, number one, you need it because Jesus commanded his disciples to wait for it. Simple as that. Jesus says, go and wait, and I will send the Comforter, and he will come upon you, and he will baptize you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, number one, Jesus commanded his people, his disciples at the time, to go and wait. 
And that's a pretty good reason right there, because Jesus said it. Number two, because the enemy of my life will prevent me from living a holy life on my own ability. Even though I have the Holy Spirit within me, the devil will, can still come and play games with me. And when I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit within, with living within me, that gives me more defense, gives me more of an offensive weapon against the devil to, to distract and destroy and to deceive me. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 13, 5, 13, If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it's by the power of the Holy Spirit living in me in its completeness, in its fullness, it gives me the ability to live. And the Holy Spirit enables me to walk daily and ward off the temptations of the devil. That's why I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need more power. I need more power in my life to ward off the devil. The baptism helps give my testimony then relevance. As I allow the fruit to mature and I have the power of the Holy Spirit with it, now I can really be Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and Charlevoix and East Jordan and to all the ends of the earth when I allow the power of the Holy Spirit to have residence in me when my life is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit people say that's a holy man that's a man I'm gonna to listen to because I see fruit in his life along with the power an inconsistent lifestyle takes away the testimony. An inconsistent lifestyle takes away the, the bang. It just says, that's a hypocrite. Oh, there's another hypocrite. He speaks in tongues, but look at him. He lives this way. He lives like a heathen. Well, yeah, you can do that. But what are you building up? What are you destroying? Our challenge today is that we allow the Spirit to give us the fruit of maturity. And then when I have that, combine that with the power of the Holy Spirit, now we can change the world. Now we can be change agents. Because that's what the disciples had to do. They had to wait for it. They had to tarry for it. And when they then received it, they went out and they changed the world. So this morning, this morning, as we are in our service today, in our life, I encourage you this morning that, that we seek to abound. Listen, seek to abound in the fruit of the Spirit first. Seek the fruit of the Spirit. Seek love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Seek the nine fruit. Seek the fruit of the Spirit. And then when you fully have that, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with the power that comes along with that. Don't seek the gifts. If you seek the gifts, you're not going to mature. If you seek the gifts, you're going to be a baby Christian forever. Seek the maturity of the fruit. And when you seek that, He'll fill you because then he'll see the heart. He'll see the heart of a man or a woman that can use it properly. That's power. That's authority. That's kingdom building. And you know as, I, as well as I do that we need this today more than ever. We need to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to have the power of Jesus flowing through us daily. If we're going to survive in this world today, 
If we're going to be the agents in this world that are going to make the difference in this world, we must have the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit together working. We can't have one without the other if we're going to be the change agents that's going to affect our world. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm just asking you to send your fruit. I'm asking you, Jesus, to mature us. That, God, that we really truly would understand what it means to see the adversities in life as blessings, that we would allow the excesses of our life to be pruned away. God, that we would seek the fruit of the Spirit that would give us abundance of holiness and righteousness and of right living that would make us signposts of mature Christians that can handle the power of the Holy Spirit when he falls. Because we know you are going to fall. That's your promise to us. That you are going to fall on us, that those that seek you. So God, I pray. I pray, Jesus, that our hearts would be changed and we would see truly the kingdom of what it means to know fruit. Lord, give us patience. Give us virtue. Give us goodness, godliness, righteousness, holiness. Help us to seek that first and then allow the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us with power. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As we sing this last song, I, as always, I just want to let open the altars for those that want to stick around. I know it's 12 after. I'm sorry. It's a little bit late. But I just want to welcome you to come in and worship if you want to. We're going to sing a song. We're going to pray. We'll dismiss. Seek the power of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen.
Father, I thank you for this day. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you just work in our hearts and lives today. Lord, I pray that we would be able to digest your, nutri your, your nutrients today, that God, every word that was spoken in our service, that every prayer that was prayed today, God, would be manifested, and that you would be glorified, Jesus, and I pray your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed today as you go.